This is Kwentong Creatives, a podcast to get to know creative Filipinos in different fields and the stories behind their unique journeys of growth. I'm Gia Puyat, a filmmaker and a musician who's always been fascinated by the people I've met through my projects. From designers, musicians, entrepreneurs, and photographers. People that continue to create fulfilling work that inspire me as a creative. We talk about practical things like strategies and habits for getting work done efficiently. We talk about wider insights on different professions or simply industry chismis lang. And finally, we discuss the beliefs that help us stay healthy and centered amidst the challenges of creative work. For a more visual experience of Quentong Creatives, follow our social media for exclusive content. And you can listen to the podcast on any major streaming platforms. Quentong Creatives is a Globe Studios podcast. Welcome to another episode of Enslaved. A Globe Studios podcast. I'm Ron. Joining me are my co-hosts, Mel and Quark. And we have a great episode lined up for you today because we speak with the writer, director, and producer of the acclaimed film Yellow Rose, along with one of the main actors of the film, Princess Punzalan. So enjoy that conversation. I never fit in. Never could win. This isn't the life you wanted. Though I tried and tried. It'll be better for you. This feeling don't end. I promise. Swear I fell in love with country music when I was a little girl. When are you going to let me hear you play? Too scared to perform them songs. Ain't gonna do no good. With nowhere to go. I received another letter. Immigration and customs enforcement. We have a warrant to search. Does anyone else here reside with you? Is there anyone who lives here? No. No one resides with you. No, no other residents. Ah! Hey. Ah! Hey. So it's okay, guys. You know, it's going to be a light, fun uh, discussion on the film. Um, so, yeah. So again, let's start. No, it's not. We're going to go to <laughs> ICE. Deep. We're going to go to immigration. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, God. <laughs> immigration. So, <laughs> Di- Diane, I watched the movie with my seven-year-old daughter. And she was like, oh, my gosh, mom. This movie is so sad. And Because we usually watch a movie before bedtime. And then in the part where Princess was on the FaceTime with her mom, she was crying. My my kid was was crying. She was so affected and she, she was hugging me. What's yeah, going she, on. I was explaining oh. like this is what happens in America. Sometimes you're not allowed to stay. And then when Princess and, and um Rose were crying, she really hugged me tight and she was like, I, I don't ever want to be separated from you ever. So mm-hmm. it really it, it affected her so much. Wait, you should say that on the So I have I have a good story about that. We'll put this, I guess we should say this on camera, but okay. um, my my daughter is the little girl in the film. The, the oh. Le- Leia's daughter is her daughter. Leia's daughter is, is my daughter. Um, so I, that scene came up because when I was explaining what the film was about, she said, why, why did they take her mommy away? And I said, why don't you ask Rose when we get on set? And that was the scene. Oh, so that was an ad lib. Yeah, <laughs> it was in the script, but yeah, for her it was. 
Any case, anyway, in case you're wondering what we are talking about, we are talking to director, writer Diane Paragas and star Princess Punzalan about their new film, Yellow Rose, now available on I Want and KTX. This conversation was just too good, so now we're, <laughs> we're definitely including that. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hello. Hi, Park. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. What time is it in? Is it 7 a.m. in Los Angeles? Uh, no, no, it, it's uh, 6 p.m. in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're right. Quarter um, conversions are so screwed now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, wrong, wrong, not... time, wrong time. Wrong part of day. Tapos, ano, may, may ano pala, um, daylight savings. <laughs> Um, and then Diane is over at Brooklyn. So yes, um, it's 9 p.m. here. Yeah, thank you again for for joining us, guys. So um, so Yellow Rose is out finally in the Philippines. I mean, it's had a really great run, um, both in festivals. Uh, congratulations on all the awards. All the uh, um, uh, you know, you've won a bunch of audience awards and a few more awards, and had a good festival run. And of course, you've you've enjoyed release with with Sony. Congratulations on that um, in the U.S. So what does it feel, though, to have it finally out here in the Philippines? I mean, it's awesome. My my brother um, lives there with my nephews, um, who my nephews are in the movie, too. Um, you'll see in the credits, there's a bunch of paraguses. That's my nephews. And also Princess's brother in the same yeah. scene. Um, so we shot all our Philippine scenes uh, I guess it was about, I guess almost two years now, right, Princess? Mm -hmm. It's three so, years. So to have it come back to the Philippines after all that time and, and this long, long, long journey that we've had on the festival circuit, then being, getting picked up and then waiting for a time to release the film during the pandemic was, is fantastic to bring it back to the Philippines. Um, you know, in so many ways, this is, my love letter to the Philippines um, and to the Filipino American experience. So I'm very excited to present this film to people back home, and um, and I'm just very curious how people people there will receive this movie. But I, I'm I'm I couldn't be more excited. Nice. the The one with your uh, brother was the one. Um, was it the scene with the uh, towards the end with the face with the, with the <laughs> iPad? Yeah, without. Spoiling anything, but we had Princess and I had our family in that scene. <laughs> and and you shot here, no? Uh, yeah, Luneta. It looked mm -hmm. like Luneta. Yes. Yeah. With with the great Anne Monzon. <laughs> That's right. Anne Monzon was our second unit, or was our Philippine DP. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Same How was that daughter. experience shooting here? Um, after yeah, how long after Austin did you shoot? Uh, in, in we the... shot that scene uh, maybe four months after we wrapped. It was we wrapped in August and then we shot in January. Uh, so I went to the Philippines for Christmas to see my brother, and then I'm like, oh, let's do this scene. Um, and we had to raise more money to do that scene. So, and then Princess flew out. Um, it was great. It was great. It was um, you know we were matching back to a lot of stuff. So um, we had, you know, we were matching back to scenes that we knew we were going to cut into. So um, it was, it was tricky to try to get it to look the same. And um, I don't know how, how film nerdy your audience is, but 
we shot on the area Alexa uh, with anamorphic lenses for our original thing, but we couldn't get Kawa anamorphic vintage lenses, which is what we shot on. So it was tricky to get the lenses. That was one thing. And Anna and I were like scouring the country trying to find anamorphic lenses, but we ended up using spherical lenses, which are different. Um, so that was one thing, but she's incredible. And it was so cool to have a female DP. Um, and yeah, I was like, oh, I'm so happy to have a female DP. And she kind of looked at me and she goes, you know, a lot of the DPs in the Philippines are, fe are female. And I said, really? And, I, and she said, yeah, it's like not weird. And I said, there you go. You guys are ahead of us. <laughs> Ma Can I ask, and I know you probably hate this question because you probably get this a lot in the circuit, but why did you decide to make this movie at this point in time? I mean, it's a movie I actually have been pursuing for more than 15 years. So um, it was always a story I wanted to tell. It was just, I kind of had to wait until there was financing and there was a climate that somebody would want to make this movie. Um, but I always wanted to make a Filipino story. Um, and the part of this story that's set in Texas is because I grew up in Texas. And so I think presenting a character who has this particular dream in this particular place was something only I could tell, you know, I think. Um, it's a very unique story to my understanding of the world. Um, and, and so it was always something that I, I felt I wanted to make. It was, it's a modern day Western. It's a coming of age story. It's an indictment of the American dream. Um, and it's a music film, all kind, all the things I'm interested in and love kind of wrapped into one story. Um, and I've always felt that the more specific you get, the more personal you get, the more universal a film becomes. And I hope that's true for this. I mean, I think what happened in the course of waiting around and waiting around is Trump. Trump happened. He got elected uh, right around the time we, we ended up getting financing to make the film. And um, when we knew we were going to get the money to make the movie, thanks to ABS-CBN and uh, an, an initiative called uh, Cinematographo, that's what kind of launched the film into becoming uh, a thing. Um, Trump happened. And so I rewrote the script with my co-screenwriter, Annie Howell, and kind of focused much more into that experience and Princess's side of the story with what happened to the mother as she goes through the system and this idea of trying to find a home and, and in the process, finding your place in the world and her, in her case, her voice. So that changed the DNA of the film um, because, you know, it took so long to get it made that we just leaned more heavily into the immigrant side of the story. Yeah, I, I remember meeting you in 2014 and we yeah. had coffee and you were already talking about Yellow Rose. And I then, know. And then uh, you, you also made a short film. Um, we made a short at that point and it was very different. The short was a more, at, at that point, the script was much more about Dale and, and, and Rose. It was, it was more their story. Um, and you know, when you make a short, there's so many things that happen. I think you see what works. Like, for example, in the short, the final scene is very similar to the final scene in the film. Um, and that was the thing I kept. But um, the story as it was, which was more of a road trip story, she like 
hides in his bus and then goes across the country with him, which is what the script was at that point. And I mentioned I changed it at that point. I, I do want to give a big shout out to Quark because Quark is actually an important um, an important figure in getting this film made. Like he said, we had coffee and I'd met him in New York uh, six years ago. And he introduced me to who somebody who became a producer in the film, Ray Cuerdo. Yeah. So, so Quark is actually one of the reasons our film came to be. So thank you, Quark. You're in the credits. Yeah, yeah I, saw, I was like above someone cool. <laughs> Griffin Dunn. I was like, yeah, Whoa, Griffin Dunn. Griffin Dunn. <laughs> Yeah, Griffin. Griffin is um, uh, Griffin's a very old friend, and he, it was actually he was the one who encouraged me to write this story back in the day. He just thought, "Why don't you write about being Filipino in Texas? I think that's so interesting." I was like, "No one wants to hear about that." But then I came up with this idea of having this character love country music. So I played music when I was a kid. But like Quark, I was in a band and it, like a, you know, like I was in a bad alt rock band, uh, and I played. Are you guys online? <laughs> we did release an LP and it was just uh, not very good. But we did get played on the radio in my town in Texas. Um, okay. But I had shaved my head. I shaved the side of my head and I wore, wore like dog chains and I thought I was cool. <laughs> but what was it I was like? that character. <laughs> What was it like growing up in, in Texas and being like one of the few Filipinos there? Not fun. I mean, in my case, I, I just wanted to get to New York, which I did. As soon as I graduated college, I moved to New York City and I've been here ever since. So it was, I, I, didn't, I didn't connect to the place. Um, and so those feelings of feeling isolated and misunderstood, that definitely was me growing up. Um, you know, but it's sort of twisted around because I, I twisted around the character to kind of love it. Instead of me trying to get out of the small town to the big city, she's fighting to stay, which I thought was really interesting. She's fighting to stay where she, where she is. Um, and that's not a, that's not a storyline. Typically it's odd that the kid can't wait to go get the hell out of the small town. And here's this girl who's trying to just keep her life together as is um so or actually my daughter's big question was why doesn't she want to be with her mommy mm. so well she does want to be with her mom but um i think the idea of home is more important to her at that point yeah. um and that's that's the big question the film asks and it's hard for her she's not really decided until the very end mm. what she wants to do and I think it's really hard for her. Princess, do you, you know, I mean, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, actually, when my daughter saw the trailer, it gave me signals that, oh, I can't let her watch the movie. Because after watching the trailer, she was afraid of the police. And she's always asking me, Mommy, do you have permission to stay in America? <laughs> yes. Don't be scared. <laughs> Permission to stay. <laughs> but that really stuck in her head. And for a long, long time, she was scared of the police. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> How did you find Princess, by the way? Like, yes. uh, what the, the great Princess Pundalan. Like, um, it, you know, I'm, we're, we're all big fans of, of Princess. And so um, 
yeah, how how did you how were you able to catch princess um, as a mom? I um, I had been introduced to princess actually not through the way most people. I was introduced to her from a movie called Johnny Loves Dolores, which was directed Woo! by Clarissa De Los Reyes. Great film. Um, and I was, I was kind of asking around the Filipino community. I said, you know, there's this very important role in this script and I want to, I want an actress from the Philippines, but I want somebody who can act in a more subdued kind of way that a more subtle type of way. And, um, Clarissa was like, you have to watch this film and, and look at this actress. Um, she's done a lot of films in the Philippines, but she was, look at this performance and it kind of blew me away. Um, just the, the subtleties of it, the, all those things of being subdued. And, um, and then I met her uh, when we did the short and she wasn't even in the script of the short, but our naive hope was that right after the short, we would make the feature. And so I wanted to take that opportunity to, to have a look at the, the characters who um, would play the mom and uh, and so I had her actually read, I met her and then had her read against potential uh, roses that we were auditioning and kind of just, she was just so amazing. She just became part of the film. Uh, I was just like, you have the part uh, when it happens. It just, I didn't think it would take as long as it did to get made, but she was always part of our team, you know, and um, always checking in with me and, and, and when, you know, yeah, that's my side of the story. Anyway, Princess, you tell your side. Yeah, I, I, the first after after I read the script, I felt connected, and I it, I just felt like yeah, this this should be done. This should be seen by people, uh, because I saw the parts of the relationship between the mother and the daughter, and the difficulty of our kababayans who are trying to live, um, make a life here in a, in a different country. And um, I know of a lot of people who are going through the same things. And I felt like their story needs to be heard. And so I was just like a rah, rah, rah. And I wanted to keep encouraging Diane, keep your eye on, on the ball and just do it, go do it. And I, I just kept on encouraging her to push and push and finally it happened and I'm so happy for her more than anyone else I think I'm, I'm so happy for her because I saw her desire and it must be so fulfilling to see your baby born and be appreciated by so many people. Princess are you semi-retired from acting because you're you're a registered nurse now in, in the states and and you have been so quiet for, for a long time, um, was this was act, was going back into a major film at the back of your head this whole time, and you were just waiting for the perfect project? Well, when I got married, I my mindset was if I wanted to be creative and act in front of the camera, I just need to go back to the Philippines for a small vacation, and so I compartmentalized my life. If I wanted a simple quiet, normal life, I'd be in the U.S. And then if I feel like I need to use my creative juices, I just go back to the Philippines every now and then. So that was what I did for the longest time. So every time I just felt like I need to, I went back to the Philippines. And it wasn't hard for me 
uh, to get jobs in the Philippines. And actually, they would always call me. Champre, uh, you're the Princess Punzalan. Who would you say no to you? Networks would call me up and uh, would you be free uh, from this month to this month to uh, do some uh, work for us? And so, so that was my life. But when I met Clarissa for a Maala Ala Mukaya episode in New York, she was uh, studying uh, at NYU and she needed to make a thesis and she needed an actor. And she asked me, could you be one of my actors in, in the thesis? I said, sure. And it happened. Jari Loves Dolores happened and the rest is history. But it was during the shooting uh, of um, Yellow Rose that Diane asked me, why aren't you working more? You should be working here in the U.S. That planted an, an idea in my head. And I asked my husband about it. He said, sure, let's go. Um, we moved from San Diego to Los Angeles uh, because he was really supportive of the idea. And you have an agent in in Hollywood. I have an agent and a manager. Nice. Wow, the dream. <laughs> Does your daughter and your husband know that you're a big star in the Philippines? Well, well, my husband now knows, and my daughter <laughs> gets weirded out because sometimes, like when we go some places, even with a mask, people ask me, "Princess Punsalad." <laughs> <laughs> And my daughter would be like, well, come, are you friends, mom? <laughs> That's so cool. Um, and so um, making this film, how, how about the rest of the cast? Like, uh, especially, I think, uh, Eva, um, how did you come across such a talent? So when we were casting for this short, the idea was we were finding the actress to play in the feature. And that's partly why I met Princess so early on was we were already kind of taking that opportunity with the money to cast. And so uh, I did a big search across the country, saw hundreds literally of girls from all over. People were sending in tapes. Um, but around that time, Eva had gotten cast to be uh, Kim in Miss Saigon in the West End revival of Miss Saigon. So I, she came on my radar at the time and I'm like, oh, she's kind of the perfect person, at least I'd love to see her for this role, but I knew I couldn't because she was just about to begin this, what turned out to be three years playing Miss Saigon. Um, and it was after we uh, had finished the short and then f got the financing um, ready and I won the cinematographer grant uh, that I found out that Eva was, or, or the, the, Broadway run of Miss Saigon was going to end at the end of that year. And so we won the funding and um, the grant was I was supposed to shoot the movie in that calendar year, which was 20, I can't remember anymore. I guess it was 2017. And, um, and Eva was coming out of it. So I was like, I'm going to give up the grant because I want to see this girl. So I went to Broadway. Finally, I saw her performance in Miss Saigon because I refused to watch it before then because I thought it would like break my heart and mm -hmm. she was incredible and and the most important thing was her style of acting was very cinematic and very different than by the way everybody else in the mm -hmm. cast she had a very different style of acting very naturalistic very cinematic 
And so that night I had dinner with her and her manager. And by that point, she had actually already read the script and she was interested. Um, but I just had some sushi with her and offered her the part on the spot. She's just quite, quite a talent, just an incredible talent. Um, but I had to wait because she was still finishing her run. And then she was taking time, a little time off after doing it. And then she had this pocket of time right in between finishing Miss Saigon and beginning Town. Like she got on a plane to London right after we finished shooting to rehearse Town. That if those of you that are theater fans, it went on to win the Tony for best, uh, best musical. Uh, she won a Grammy for best cast recording and she was nominated for a second Tony after that. So um, we just kind of got her at this time right in between these two huge projects and She's just, I hope, I mean, if she's not, if she doesn't become a star, I, I feel like I didn't do my job. She's just, <laughs> an, she's an incredible talent. She should be an international movie star. Were you there when, um, when Eva met Leia? Because uh, I'm, I'm just wondering how nervous she must have been to meet the original Kim. <laughs> they, uh, you know, they met all those years ago when she got first got cast, they kind of had them go on this like press tour together in London. And um, so she met her right as she got cast. And I, I remember her telling me she was like really nervous when she first met her, but over the years they've become really close and kind of have this really special relationship. They're probably the only people that have had this experience they, they, they both had. Um, so they right, had right. a really special relationship and um, it was nice to see them together on set. You know, like there's a familiarity between the two of them. It was really, really special. I can imagine them like breaking into song together <laughs> while waiting for the camera to set up. Oh my God, so not. I mean, like they're, they're I think they get both asked to sing all the time, but they actually don't. And, and um, I remember I, I had a talk with my, with my crew because, a couple of them were like obsessed with Leia coming from like the Disney princesses stuff. <laughs> I said, I swear to God, if I hear any of you ask her to sing Brave New World or, uh, you know, one of her songs, I'm going to like really get mad. And then I kind of went away and I heard one of them like, could you please just sing one thing from Jasmine? And I was like, oh. Um, <laughs> not even for it. your daughter? She did not. <laughs> no, she sang <laughs> in the movie and that's it. <laughs> Princess, had you worked with Leia before, or was this the first time you were actually working together with Leia? Um, I I haven't worked with Leia before. Actually, we didn't have a scene. Too, too bad that we didn't have a scene together in the movie. But um, I watched her a lot. I saw her perform in my mom's television show before. Oh, and, lovingly, uh, lovingly yeah. yours. Uh, yeah, she was with uh, Herbert Bautista in, in the movie and JC Bonin, I think. So it, it was it was nice to see her in person and um it all grown up. It's it's just nice to see her and uh hear her talk about her life now. It was just fun. And then um I just wanted to say I really enjoyed working with uh, Eva because as an actor, it's always nice to perform with someone who, um, it, it, like if you're playing tennis, you know, when you hit hard, somebody hits you back. 
You know, you, you have the energy. I mean, ping pong, gonna merong energy between the two of you. And whenever I look at her in my scenes, the scenes we did, we did together, there was always fire and life inside her eyes, which was wonderful because it made working a lot easier. It, it, it was easier for me to react because her reactions, her facial reactions were really genuine. I love um yeah I love your relationship the, the mother daughter was it was there like a lot of pre shoot bonding or did it really just come naturally <laughs> Not really because uh by the time I got to the set she was already doing so many things like one scene after the other she had no time to really chit chat so it was just I marveled at her because I knew there were so many scenes for the day and she just went one after the other um, and it didn't take her long to actually know what to do because she was just a pro. It was amazing. I, I loved working with her. Yeah. But I will say, I mean, part of, uh, I never got to do a test with them. We did one uh, rehearsal, I think, where you called in Princess. Um, we did one read through like maybe three or four months before we shot and that was it. Like yeah, Princess yeah. showed up on set and we were already shooting the film. So they yeah. had no time to bond actually. Yeah. And, but I, I will say, I think part of what I saw when Princess was working with the other actresses is that Princess is a great tennis partner. <laughs> she just knows how to, how to, get something out of the other character and because I had seen Eva I knew they were going to have chemistry and it would be great because Eva was sort of at a different level of a lot of the actors we had auditioned and and Princess had chemistry with those actresses but Eva was on a different playing field because of her experience and because of her talent so yeah. I was really excited and they they had a natural bond. I think when you're making an independent film like this, you're kind of all in it together and we're all, it's hot as hell. It was 107 degrees in Austin and we had 19 days to shoot. And so it just became like a family, you know, um, very quickly. And there was this, a warmth between them that was natural in real life, I would say. So it was just a very, they had just, they had great chemistry and, and great actors. And, and somehow, you know, I've, I've worked with so many people. It wasn't hard to work with Eva because I felt like there was no wall between us. Because I've met some people whom I, I would try to love on, you know, as, as, as a, a scene partner. But I just, I hit the wall. But with Eva, it was just open and warmth. So it was so nice to work with her. Yeah. No, no, it's really shocking because usually when um, people who are trained in theater move to film, there's there's kind of like a um, adjusting period, right? Where you know they're used to like these big, um, uh, you know, uh, big actions, big movements. You know, you're you're talking to the person at the very back row, and then while watching, she was just so nuanced, uh, very subtle. So yeah, there's a reason for that because. Um my cinematographer who's incredible um august thermer um who's just a, such a talent and um when we were watching her uh just just the first day of her showing up on set we were kind of we put the camera on her for the first time and she had never been on any set by the way not even a short 
She had never been done anything that had a camera. And so we, we put the camera on her and right away, it's like, oh my God, she was just running some lines. And it's, first of all, her face is just made for movies and the eyes are so big and so expressive. And I'm like, oh shit, we have a, sorry. Uh, you know, we have, we have, we have something here, you know? Um, and so I was talking to her and I said, you're so natural. I feel like you're even more natural as a screen actress than you are. Like you're so great at great on being in the camera. You know where the light is. You knew she would adjust her performance when we were in close up, like that kind of precision of understanding what was going on. And she said, you know why? Because, um, you know, I was cast when I was 17 um, to be in Miss Saigon. So I never went to acting school. And when I was growing up, I didn't, my parents didn't have any money to send me to acting school, but I knew I wanted to act. So I would watch movies of actresses I've really admired. And one she mentioned was Sense and Sensibility and she would watch Kate Winslet. Um, and she would say, I would sort of study what moved me in watching this scene. And I would go in the mirror and try to imitate or try to figure out what she had done to achieve that emotion in me. And so she taught herself how to act by watching movies. And mm -hmm. that's why I felt she just had this implicit understanding of what we were doing. I mean, she really did. She knew when to play to the camera. She knew when it was a wide, to, to, she didn't have to do as much. She just somehow understood it, you know? Um, and that was quite a thing to watch. And, and as I was discovering that, through shooting, I would I was writing scenes like the scene, um, for example, after I spoiler alert, please put that on where, you know, the ice officer comes for the raid. And then the scene right after that, where she sees Jolene, I wrote that scene because I, first of all, uh, Libby Valari, who was in Boyhood, she played Patricia Arquette's mother in Boyhood, and she was also in Friday Night Lights, is an incredible actress. And I had already seen at that point how much Eva could do, I just wanted to see a scene between them. And it would, re Eva could really show the audience the pain of going through, the result of what going through what she had just gone through looks like. Um, and that was like, I wrote that because I wanted to see that um, because I could see how much she could do. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, you were talking about the, the cinematography um, just now, and I, yeah, it's so gorgeous. It's amazing. It's so good. Like even just the stuff outside, um, like the the motel where where um, princess uh, was where, where they where they were at, or or the, the ice sunrise scene. and the sunrise. Yeah. yeah. The sunrise yeah, after we, the ice raid. We fought that fought for that scene. That's my favorite scene in the script. It was also August's favorite scene and the reason he accepted the film. And um, to me, that's, that scene is, uh, was the first scene I had written and the scene that was my MacGuffin, because it's a scene where uh, both of these characters are two main characters. The love story is really between Rose and her mom. And mm -hmm. to see them split apart in that way and then enter into two types of a prison one is the coldness of an actual prison and the other is this no man's land. And I wanted that prison that Rose is running into to be painfully beautiful, but horrible in the metaphor of what actually was happening to her. And so 
I always saw it in a field and I always saw it coming up. And the way we shot that scene was actually, we shot it in real time, starting at 8 p.m. into 8 a.m. And that means Princess and uh, Rose and, and, and Elliot were all running around and screaming in real time and doing it all throughout the night until the sun came up. And then we got to the second location. They're so exhausted and bedraggled that that scene when she's running into the field, we only had one take because we were, we had one time we could shoot the sun coming up. And as you know, in filmmaking, that's about 15, 20 minutes. Um, and that's it. And so this sort of messy running, I wanted it to feel like completely messy like that. You, we only had to get it once. And that's August running with the camera in a field that was dark. We couldn't really see. There was cactus and snakes and extremely dangerous and not very well planned out. But it, we, I fought really hard for that scene. And at the end of it all, everyone was so angry at me. Like every, like people were, August, I think went to the hospital cause he was running and um, something, something happened with Liam. He was like also really uh, physically exhausted. Eva's feet were almost bleeding cause she was running in the boots which are not made to run in. And everyone was angry at me. And then I'm like, yes, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm so happy. I was like, we did it because it's the scene that was in my head for so long. And there it is. And it's all its beauty, glory, horrific, whatever. But um, it also is probably the scene that as a company, we bonded together, right? Princess, it was like, that was like our war scene. Like it was so hard to shoot. Um, and we had, we were just rushing. And the, by the way, the police car you see in there, that's actually a police car that was trying to stop the filming, and we just we just put it, we just ran. <laughs> that that siren that's going is like that's actually a police car trying to stop the filming. But yeah, Princess, talk about that scene. That was that was that was one that was probably our hardest day, I would say. Yeah, it, one of the hardest. Uh, it it we knew we had a long night, but um, and we also knew that we had to give it our all uh, to be able to. Uh, get the scene right so we had to scream over and over and over it was a good thing that Eva had great training she knew how to preserve her voice but still be able to project she projected so well but she was also able to preserve her voice it was amazing <laughs> but it was really draining emotionally and physically draining Princess, I've always been um, curious. I've always wanted to ask someone who's worked in both kinds of sets. Um, is there a big difference between um, uh, Hollywood, American, uh, U.S. sets and Filipino, working in a Filipino set? The truth. Yeah. Uh, well, most of my experience was from TV. And mm. um, what's different was that the working hours are different. <laughs> what I appreciated with this movie is that we knew when we are starting and when we were ending. At least Alamon, we knew that there was a, a time limit. And more or less we could predict, okay, at this time, more or less, if they use me up to the end, I know by this time I'm going to go home. Unlike in, in the TV, you're, not, you're never sure when you're going to go home. <laughs> 
you are. So you're going to be shot. Pero kasama ka sa sequence. Hindi mo lang sure kung kailan. Parang to be sure, just in case. 8am call time. That was one thing. Oh my God. It's like, when you get to the set, I try to see, I look at the... Uh, the, the how many scenes we're gonna take today? Oh, 35 scenes. Okay, so which how many are mine? Okay, so I I, I try to prepare myself even before I get to the set. Oh, I'm, I'm I I know I'll be busy today. So um, the only rest time is when I go to the bathroom or something. <laughs> but it I think it trained me well because now when I work. I know that I have to bring it on. The first time I do it, I have to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. Nice. I have a funny story about that because during our U.S. festivals, I would some would do like, "Oh, how? What was the budget? Or how long did it take to shoot?" And I would say like, "Oh, it took us 19 days," and everyone would be like, "Wow," you know, like that. But then I, I said something similar to a Filipino audience that had, you know. <laughs> familiar with shoots and they went wow but not because it was short because it was long yeah i was gonna say nice that's too long yeah it's like it's like uh you wow you have budget because in the (laughs) Philippines normally we have have what they call pito pito uh you shoot in seven days and that was it in seven days (laughs) um dan so when i was reading about the movie um i was surprised that there was some controversy with them with how the Caucasian people were were portrayed in the film, were you did you expect this kind of backlash at all? Um, for for the people who aren't familiar, I think it's because the of the white savior complex, right? That mm. I didn't pick up until I saw um, these comments. But yeah, Dan, what what are your thoughts on this? I I was I was expecting a little bit of it, but not the way we got it. Um, and I will say we had overwhelmingly really very positive reviews, but the ones that were negative were almost always about that. It was like, that was the big criticism of my film was that it was tone deaf or white savior or combination. And, um, you know, I defend the film every time someone says that because I certainly, why would I put that trope into my own film? when the purpose of the whole thing, what I'd been fighting for for 15 years was to put a Filipino character in a lead care in a lead role on the poster at the end of the film. If you actually watch the movie, she rejects everybody and is on her own. So I'm like, what the hell? I will preface all of that by saying what happened from the time we shot our film to the time the film premiered was George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. Mm. And I think that strength of how powerful that movement was, which I completely support. You just can't show any cops in any light that is even semi-positive. And, you know, it's like when something that drastic happens, the pendulum swings to the other side. And right. I think that's that's the time that we presented our film. I think if we had presented the film when we made it, or even a year before when it was supposed to come out, when Trump was locking up people and putting children in cages and it was all about separation and from families, I don't think we would have gotten that criticism as much as we did. So for example, the New York Times, which gave us an overall good review, did say it was tone deaf because they said, you can't present something like this in this day and age. So 
while I wholeheartedly disagree, I, I also understand the context in which people might feel that way. Um, but are we at a point where you show a sympathetic white character and that's not acceptable? Um, that falls in the column of too woke to be woke, you know, <laughs> in my book. Um, but yeah, I was surprised at, I was surprised at how much, I mean, I got more criticism from the left than I did from the right. I was right. expecting much more criticism from the right. And we got some criticism from the right, but I don't think those are people making movie reviews. They're not. Um, if anything, I think, you know, I think <laughs> that the right was, was sympathetic to the film. Um, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say this, but what, had, what the hell, I know that someone from the White House ordered our film for Air Force One. So someone at the someone in that world saw the movie and wanted to see the movie. So um, I'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know what it's they Melania. Thought. I think it was Melania. I think it was Melania. <laughs> but I think for or Stephen Miller part, or Stephen Miller. I think for the most part, I I was very conscious that I wanted to make a film that appealed to the red states. I think I talked about this with the cast, and I certainly had that intention in the back of my head. I mean, it's. You know, why make a movie that's preaching to the converted? This is an opportunity to actually present something to people who would never in a million years try to put themselves in that situation. And I think by showing, I think the kindness of America, which is something I don't see in movies, um, it allowed certain audiences to participate in the story that was going on that might not be politically inclined to watch a movie like this. So. I would rather have achieved that than please some stupid woke millennial critic. No, I actually, I've, I've you actually, know who I'm talking about. Oh wait, <laughs> I don't know, but tell no, me. I mean, I'm saying if someone listens to this, you know who you are. But I've that's, actually seen another movie that tackles this sort of kindness and the American dream, and that's Minari. And Minari, with you, with you and Minari, great, um, very strong Asian American voices. Um, but I like how you're presenting that people deserve kindness and people are very kind to people. Um, do you see this as an upcoming trend in, in cinema, this kindness cinema to remind people that there is good in this world and it's not just all Borat and it's not I just all bleak? So. I hope so. I think I, I, I haven't seen it yet, um, but I think I've heard Nomadland is similar in that respect. Um, and, and to some extent, First Cow, where you see you see, you know, uh, these characters being kind of colorblind to each other. All great movies. It, it was a kind of great year for movies in many ways. But um, yes, I think there is a trend for that. I think that um, I don't know if it's a trend, but it's it's certainly. I think when you try to be more nuanced, you do find these qualities and in characters instead of showing the redneck, which I. I'm like, I don't need to see that guy anymore. It's like, we have one in office. We have them charging the White House. We, I don't want to give more time to that voice. Why should I give more space to that voice? Um, and it's such a trope. To me, that's a trope. To me, that's the trope, is the redneck. Actually, I super agree because, um, yeah, you know, they tend to vilify the red states or, you know, make the South seem like a scary place. But I actually, when I went to Austin for the first time, I found that they were the most polite American people I had ever met. Like Exactly, were, right? 
exactly. <laughs> and that and that's that's sort of the did I experience my share of racism growing up in Lubbock, Texas? Absolutely. But I also experienced the kindness, mm. which is very inherently Southern and particularly Austin, which is one of it's turning out to be one of the most liberal places on the in America. Um, and that's a different side of Texas. There is this sort of like like the character of Jolene. You know, she's very sympathetic. You can tell she's kind of left leaning in her politics. You know, she's she, she's very she's a sanctuary for undocumented people. But Dale, on the other hand, you don't quite know. I mean, you kind of maybe assume he might be conservative, but he doesn't care. He sees a girl that has a great voice. Oh my gosh, I'm so thankful that all. there was no scene with that that he was like the bad guy. The DOM, yeah. I didn't want to go there. Um, yeah, I didn't want to go there, and 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 I think it's it's a surprise that I didn't go there. I mean, I kind of knew people would think that, and the surprise was, hey, you know what? Um, People are basically good, but what I wanted to make sure, and this is where I take stock with the people that claim white savior, all the white people and the Filipino people abandon her at the slightest inconvenience, even Jolene. I mean, Dale's like, sorry, Jolene's like, we gotta go somewhere. <laughs> it's like, it's not like they're, they literally are not, they're, they're, they're kind, but they're not going to go that extra mile for her. Nobody does, including the Filipino character. So which I think is true to life. I think people will help to a certain extent and then be like, you know. And on the flip side, I really appreciated how Dale was, um, so so he's not a DOM, but he's also not this like father figure mentor, right? He knows like, I'm, I, I have my flaws, I have my issues, I have my baggage, like I can't be this- Thing that you want me to be. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want me exactly. to be? Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think that's true. You know, that's a true reaction to that. And, um, and I felt like um, at that point in the script, you know, that's a big blow to her because she lost her mom. And then now she has music and now she lost the guy that believed in her music too, in her mind. Mm -hmm. So um, I thought that was, that was right. But you can't please everybody. Yeah. I was actually expecting Square Peg to be in the short list of, of Oscar songs to be. Nominated. I love that song. Diane knows how Please, much I love you that just, song. You just, do you have to bring it up? We, we just got over the heartbreak of that. Oh, so you did um, campaign. You campaigned for the song. Oh, yeah, we campaigned. I mean, we campaigned grassroots, but, um, you know, the music branch is very difficult. And what's happened is all the big recording artists now want Oscars and they realize, oh, I can put a song in a movie and get nominated. So if you look at the shortlist, they're all like these huge recording artists, like, you know, that, um, or legendary songwriters. So it's a shame because that was the one we were really hoping for. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's the one I thought we had a chance. So it was a little bit of a heartbreak um, that we didn't get shortlisted. Yeah. We yeah, were entered like it, it's been there since a short, right? Like it has. We yeah. wrote it for the oh. short. It was written by um, Thea McGee, who was who played Rose in the short. Who's an incredible actress and singer, and songwriter, and Dale Watson and myself. And so we wrote it uh, in his house on his coffee table uh, in his dining room. And she was like, "Hey, listen to this tune," and she played the tune, and we're like, "Oh, that's good." And then we we're like, okay, let's write this song. She's feeling sad. And then I was like, square peg. And then it was like written over one night. 
uh, maybe not even a couple hours, and we had the song, and um, and we we recorded it the next day on the shoot, and then uh, uh, with her guitar, and then we recorded in the studio the following day. So we had the whole thing in about three or four days, which was a great thing. It was like very spontaneous, and um, and that's the way I kind of wanted the music to come out of was I wanted it to come out of the actors in character. Um, and and then Dale, just Dale kind of being that, you know, the the voice of the country music. Like he just kind of made sure it was legit. I'm still curious, like how you guys met Dale? Because he's such yeah. an interesting figure. So um, I direct commercials. Uh, that's what I uh, do to pay the rent. And um, during a commercial, I was talking to this creative director who was a musician in Austin. And I told them about Yellow Rose. And I said, do you know any musicians that could advise me on the country music? Because I really want to get the country music of Austin right. And he's like, oh, my God, have you, have you ever heard of Dale Watson? And I said, no, who's Dale Watson? So he pulls out his laptop and he plays this video of Dale Watson. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is incredible. Like, who is this guy? And, <laughs> um, and he said, he's in, I was just mesmerized. And I went home and watched everything I could on Dale Watson. And then during this time, we were casting the short. Same time I met Princess. And um, I went to go meet him in Austin. I wasn't even sure whether he was just going to do the music or what. And so I went to this honky tonk that he owned called Ginny's Little Longhorn. And we we're like, my producer and I were waiting in the parking lot. And this guy drives up on a Harley with a white pompadour, black leather jacket, shade mirrored shades and he's like and run he's like i'm dale watson and i was just like oh and then i to my producer chagrin i'm like you've got the part he's like that's all he said to me was i'm dale watson he didn't even know why he was meeting us i was like you know you're the guy and um and actually princess met him at that time you guys had run some scenes together right when we were auditioning like you met him right away i think uh no i didn't i actually just met him on the set but i mean didn't you do something like on camera where we were or maybe maybe that was separate yeah. um, but anyway i cast him in the short so he was in our short and um uh, the funny thing is um the reason he's dale watson in the film is when we were shooting the short that particular short took the entire thing took place on a tour bus and dale had this tour bus that had dale watson like spray painted on the side of it and of course we had no money so i was like i guess you're dale watson <laughs> instead of jimmy redburn is which is how it was written but it was actually really cool because we ended up getting to use his music and we filmed those are some of those concerts you see in the film were really his concerts that we shot um and just put eva in it um that chicken shit bingo is something he actually really does um and it's an austin <laughs> tradition um so all like so much of the world and so much of the music and so much of the feeling of the film comes from Dale Watson. So he's not just an actor in the movie, but he's kind of the, the soul of the movie in many ways. But I was just mm. very lucky. And I fell in love with him immediately as a person, as a musician, but as this character. And a lot of the character's kindness actually comes from Dale himself. Um, I think I had written him to be much more of a dark figure, but what surprised me about Dale is how much of a working musician he is. And that's something I wanted to portray too. It's not like he's this big star, but he's a guy that tours every 300 days of the year. He's like playing 
any gig he can because it's it's in him. It's like he's the true musician. And then he's sort of preserving this type of country music. Um, you know, you can't really buy that atmosphere. That's that's what we that's how we made up for the lack of budget was to just fill it with some kind of authentic the authentic world of this person and this music. Uh, he's incredible. Um, I, I hope he I hope he gets more noticed from this movie. Yeah, yeah. You never know. He might have his own fan club here in the Philippines. The Dale, the Dale Watson. I hope forever. so. Watsoners forever. So. <laughs> With the Baguio Cowboys. Yeah, and, he's he's like, gonna be big in Baguio because country music is alive. Is it really? Is yeah. it really? <laughs> in Baguio? Big, yes. Or everywhere? Uh, Baguio. Like, Baguio. <laughs> like they boots and hats and, and the hats. country songs. <laughs> really? Yeah. That is from Baguio. That's really cool. That's awesome. <laughs> I had no idea. That's so cool. Yeah. Movie idea. <laughs> so do you guys have any final words before we go? Thank you so much again for, for coming on. Yeah, please, please watch our film. I think, um, I think you'll like it. I think there's something for everybody in it. And, um, it might sound depressing, but I don't think it is. I think it's a hopeful film and a sweet movie. Um, it's a movie about hope and perseverance and the American dream. Mm-mm. Yeah, I hope you all, I, I hope you get to watch it because there's something that every person from every age would be able to uh, identify with. So uh, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Thank you, guys. So, Mark, what, uh, which um, VOD platforms? It is on I Want. Okay. And, and is it on KTX? It's on KTX and Signal pay-per-view and Sky pay-per-view. Oh, no. Nice. Why isn't it on Upstream? We gotta, we gotta fix that. Take it up. We'd love to have... We'd, <laughs> know, we'd love to be on you. Upstream. Sorry? We'd love to be on Upstream, okay. but ABS controls it. But yes, okay. we will love to be on your platform. Awesome. Alright. Wow. Is this on our episode? Mm, I think so. Yeah. Could be. Congratulations, yeah. guys. <laughs> we did it. Yeah. yeah. Um, once again, um, if you want to join our Facebook group, it's facebook.com slash group slash Um, You can follow us on Twitter and state pod at and state pod. And um, yeah. like and subscribe. Smash that like and subscribe. Turn on your notifications.